0: Hello, and welcome to the Marketing Mind podcast, brought to you by the editorial team of Marketing Magazine and our friends at Something Else. I'm Rachel Barnes, the editor of marketing, and in this third episode, we're going to be looking and exploring the topic of post capitalism and what that means for the role of brands in a post capitalist future. Our guests this month are Rebecca Coleman, features editor of marketing. And also co-presenter of Radio 4's Future Proofing, Leo Johnson. Hello to you both. Hello. 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 Rebecca has been grappling with new economic systems, which she'll be telling us about shortly. And Leo, you're particularly interested in the idea that sustainability can be a good model for business. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that is a dream. (laughs) Not a reality? Not yet, I would say. Are
0: there some businesses that are doing it well already, or is it... Is it a long haul, really, to get business to understand that sustainability is as important, if not more important, than the bottom line?
1: I'll put it in the long haul, agree, <laughs> yeah. but you take stuff like energy, take the big stuff, you know, you could see that we're tantalisingly close to some tipping points. Yeah. You know, if you take fossil fuels with a $5.3 trillion subsidy, that... Subsidy disappears the moment you have technologies, that, renewable technologies that approach cost parity. Suddenly that, that subsidy, it's politically possible to get rid of it. And the moment you see that subsidy is the moment you'll see renewables just leap out of the starting blocks. And there's one estimate that by 2020, 80% of the world's population is going to be living in places where renewables are below cost parity with fossil fuels. Wow. So, you know, we are by no means there, but you can kind of see... Yeah. Some of the sunshine behind the clouds on this stuff. Yeah.
0: So we're, we're on the path. The journey is just beginning.
1: A possible rosy <laughs> future exists. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, post-capitalism is the theme of uh, this month's marketing magazine, which is out now. And uh, Rebecca, you, you spoke to Paul Mason, Channel 4's economics editor. Can you explain a bit about, about the conversation?
2: Yeah, well, I wanted to have a a chat with him because I was reading his book, Post-Capitalism, A Guide to Our Future.
0: Wow. Yes.
2: Yes. Um, And in it, he proposes a new economic system, uh, which he believes has the potential to create a more socially just and environmentally sustainable way of living. This is because, uh, in his theory, we are moving uh, from an era of scarcity of physical goods, which obviously traditional capitalism is based on, to an era where we have an abundance of information goods. And that really, really forces a revolutionary reassessment of what we mean by value and worth and also what the role of brands and marketing is in this mm. post-capitalist future.
0: Why are we talking about this now? Why is it an issue now? Is, you know, is, has it been on the agenda for, for economists for decades or you know, are, we, are we a long way off? Is, it, is there a real moment right now for post-capitalism?
2: I think essentially we're talking about this now because we're at a tipping point where the digital revolution is really coming of age um, and any ties to old systems and way of doing things are starting to seem very irrelevant and archaic, especially to young people. People are developing these new paradigms for the way they want to live, work and play, uh, which is in line with the tech they're using. And I think brands just really need to keep up with that.
0: Leo, what's your what's your take on post capitalism? I mean, is is that even a word that sort of sits in your lexicon? Does Paul Mason's version of it, or or any other version?
1: I think we're in pre-capitalism.
0: Pre-capitalism, right?
1: You know, I think we've had a, you know a, a, a model of capitalism based on the the tenets of mass production. Yeah. And you know, capital has been concentrated into the hands of a, a limited number of people, and other people have been down the value chain, and you know, and making do. And the question is, what happens next? Is it going to be hyper concentration, which is you know the model where you have these very limited number of companies that just own the platforms, and these yeah. are giant data harvesting platforms.
0: So, sort of Google or Facebook, whoever that may be. And
1: we are the product, and we are the commodity whose data is mined, that we're, you know, we're digital slurry in the supply chain of big data, and there are, you know, we're eking our way through some sort of subsistence economy by renting out whatever assets we've got. Yeah, That's one model of hyper-capitalism. And I think there's another model which mm-hmm. you could also call a hyper-capitalism, but it's a distributed, whereas that's an entirely concentrated model. There's a completely distributed model where if you take energy, yeah. for example where we've all really got the potential to be producing our own electricity, to be trading our own electricity, where we manage to fight back the rights to our own data, we fight back the rights to our own copyright, and we can be rewarded for the work we're producing. This is what Chesterton would refer to as the distributed form of capitalism, where the means of production has been returned to us with these new... It's the victory of the small... And that's a very different model of capitalism. It's a massively accelerated model of capitalism. I think it's that distributed model that could actually help solve a lot of the problems we've got.
0: And you think that's where we are now? We're, we're entering that phase?
1: We're entering this point of decision. We're leaving behind the sort of pre-capitalist, concentrated Fordist model that we had. And we're entering into one of these two hyper-capitalist mm-hmm. modes. And we've got to decide which of them we're heading to.
0: So it's not just a it's not just a lefty issue they've been you know prophesying the the end of uh capitalism it's, for a decade I
1: think it's you know it's it's not left or right, it's yeah. new versus old.
0: so you very much see it as a reality it's not it's not a theory, it's not sort of something consigned to books I you know no, you, I disagree fundamentally right
1: with Paul Mason's thesis that we're at the end of capitalism. We're at the beginning mm. of capitalism. we've got to choose what it's going to look like
0: yeah and um, I mean one of the aspects that I think is particularly interesting. That actually comes up in Paul Mason's book, but generally, I mean, on marketing, we're writing about it all the time, and brands are obsessed with it. It's the sharing economy, and I guess the way that brands can play a part in this sort of new world where people want to have relationships, like you say, it's not just concentration in the few, or it's not just about you know, there's a pro- there's one product there that does x you know now it's got to do x y and z and it's got to play a part in life and it's got to have a purpose do you see that brands and companies really have a sort of central role in in the pre-capitalism that you're talking about
1: i think there's a model where you know we're in this zero marginal cost economy where none of us have any income and we make do by flogging whatever assets we've got you know call that the sharing economy okay and you know airbnb and uber are sort of you know canaries in the mineshaft of this economy. And and that to some extent works, but it's a finite number of people who can be doing that. There's another form of sharing where we are really producing stuff and trading with each other and you use the technology has got for the enormously long tails of, you know, your music to be downloaded by the particular person living in Argentina who loves your music and for a micropayment, maybe using the blockchain to enable you to be making do living through that connection of your long-tail production with his long-tail desire. Now that's another, it's another model where control has actually been given to us economically. We're making decisions to produce and to trade.
2: So true peer-to-peer and um, collaborative consumption and open source is
1: is kind of coming. Not a sort of desperation-born barter economy.
0: Where does the you know transaction come into that? You know, is it getting away from that sort of value transaction or monetary transaction, I suppose, to the dictionary definition of sharing?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you look at the sharing economy right now, you know, it's a it's a massive cooptation of the notion mm. of some sort of you know gift economy. That's not what's happening. It's an asset. It's a trade. It's a, it's a it's a transaction, and you know that would very much be a continuation of that. I don't see I don't see in the zeitgeist a move to a real sort of communal living beautiful how that would be <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: and, you know bring it on yeah bring, yeah bring it on
0: yeah and what about the role of technology though i think you know rebecca when you were when you were talking about what post capitalism is by definition you know we're talking about at the moment because of because of the advancement of technology and how that you know the digital world is now the world, some would say. Is technology what's taking us to the tipping point?
2: Well, I guess, you know, if we think about things like Uber and Airbnb, Mm. um, what they're really doing is they're just tapping into things that people want anyway. So efficiency, value, convenience. Mm. But but I think where the sort of post-capitalism idea comes into that, perhaps, is that they've kind of broken down the traditional boundaries between consumer and organisation that capitalism is based on. So, you know, it's no longer... Just an organisation or a business selling to you. Now you're part of the business, and you have a say in things, and you are, you know, you you become part of it. It doesn't exist without you.
0: And does technology is it absolutely intrinsic to to you know where where the economy is heading? In the, the sort of your vision for the future, Leo is is technology everything?
1: You know, there's this line from Kentaro Toyama, the former Microsoft research director head, who says technology is not the answer; it's the amplifier of intent. we've fallen into some sort of, I don't know, some slave master relationship with technology. There's some, you know, I've just come from the cafe where there's the Bitcoins available from the Satoshi Point ATM. You know, Satoshi has become this messiah. (laughs) The blockchain is the next, you know, dispenser of the future where we'll just put ourselves in and it will spit out a techno-enabled future for us. No, technology is not everything. Technology is a means for us to help address the problems we face and to live fulfilling lives. And whether we will decide to deploy technology with that intent seems totally up for grabs at the moment.
0: Yeah. Well, Rebecca, you um you spoke to an economist about the shift that um, post-capitalism, or, or whatever we decide to call it, might actually, the impact that will be having on brands. Um, you know, should brands be packing up and, and going home if we're all going to be, you know, renting out our homes and, and Giving people lifts in our cars for free? Uh,
2: well, the overwhelming sense I got from speaking to both Paul Mason and um, Eve Pool, who's an economist who's written a book called Capitalism's Toxic Assumptions. Ooh, yes. Yes. Um, they both think that brands have a place, um, but not because of the pure transaction, but because of uh, our relationships with brands that go a bit deeper than that. So the value that we imbue brands with that makes a difference between a th- $30 pair of trainers and a $300 pair. I mean, pair. that's the point
0: of brands, isn't it? You, you create value and that's the premium that you're uh, you're potentially paying for versus, you know, non-branded.
2: Exactly. And, and Paul Mason uh, believes that an easy win for post-capitalism, um, as he sees it, would be um, for consumers to attack the brand markup. So to right. say, well, we're not paying £300 for something that actually should only cost £30. But... Um, Eve Paul, who I think we're going to hear from um, in a clip now, um, really, really believes that the relationship that goes a little bit deeper than the, the pure transaction is why brands will stick around.
3: So I think in a post-capitalist world, we have consumers who are much more tooled up with information and much more discerning and much more interested in the, the full story. I think what's interesting about branding is that um, for a long time, brands have led on the understanding that people want to interact with a relationship rather than just have a transaction. In fact, the rules of capitalism would, would suggest much more of a transactional market, so the, the fact of branding shows we've already moved quite a long way, and I see that as a direction of travel that will continue. I think people will increasingly be looking to brands to explain to them what the deal is and they will increasingly trust brands if they know those brands represent the right sort of deal, which includes not just a good product or service, but a good wraparound in terms of uh, international citizenship behaviour and supply chain and the environment and all of those kinds of things.
0: So if if capitalism was really built on, you know, transaction, I think it's fair to say that marketers have probably already, you know, come quite a long way in that in that journey. They're rarely sort of just talking about, sell 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 now it's all about the relationship that they're having with consumers and being part of the conversation and their their wider purpose is it the role of marketers or is it it's almost like it's the role of i don't know government or philosophers or <laughs> i don't know
1: i could see that there is a role for marketing you yeah, know in a in a moment of peak disruption clearly the brand that you can trust is going to have an advantage where there's complexity you will go for the trusted partner fine I think there's a another counter current, which I think is really much stronger. There are two types of markets. You know, there's, there's markets that are... I'm going to use some economics terms that I barely Go understand myself. <laughs> <laughs> Elastic on supply and ones that are inelastic on supply. The ones that are inelastic on supply would be like the subprime market for housing in the US, where as you supply it with way overpriced loans it eventually collapses and the market explodes and, by the way, brings down the whole financial system with it. The market that's elastic on supplies, when you're supplying it with a product that's actually doing something useful, which is, by the way, the purpose of the corporation and the reason why corporations get tax breaks and legal indemnities, etc., if you supply a market with a product that's useful, that's raising productivity, then guess what? That market grows. Mm. And right now, we're at this extraordinary point where, and just look at the Syrian refugee crisis. We've got, Syria, there are 1.5 million people in the northern part of Syria who fled to the cities for drought, mm. helping to exacerbate the crisis. What we've got is you know, 2.5 billion people without water. We've got people without power. We've got people without housing. We've got people without electricity. The market's... When you serve this stuff, I'm thinking of companies like M-Copper that do solar lights with SIM cards in it, which means that the people who can then lease this solar light for 30 to 50 cents a day, they can get access to underground water pumps, which they can do micropayments for. They can access to weather insurance. They can triple the number of crops. Their incomes go up from $160 to 1600 a head. That market alone in Kenya is $1 billion a year for avoided kerosene. Globally, it's $36 billion that the poorest of the poor pay. And when you serve that market, yeah, you know, that's the capitalism that makes sense. You're increasing their capacity to buy goods and services. You're making stuff work. And so for capitalism really to deliver on its potential, in fact, to have a future, it's going to not be about just manipulating artificial, in quotes, Value through the branding of a pair of sneakers, differentiating it thirty from a three hundred dollar value predation from the customer, who are often the poorest of the poor. By the way, Um, capitalism and marketing has got a focus on showing that here is a need, here is a product that can deliver, here is a company that you can trust to do the job of delivering it. So I think there's a real potential for branding for marketing to turn itself in the direction of the storms that we're facing yeah. and help address the real challenges we've got.
0: So, like, real global issues. I mean, obviously, local issues are important, but these global issues that are, are changing the world.
1: This is the decision we got. Are we going to duck the problems and use tech to insulate from ourselves, or are we going to face them and use tech and all the skills we got to address them?
0: That's fascinating. Obviously, some of the examples you gave there of, of, of brands, they're kind of very, very specific to the problems you're describing. What about the likes of, you know, Coca-Cola?
2: Well, I think it works for all brands. I mean, essentially, I think you need to model the impact of getting rid of these brands um, versus keeping them and making them do something good. Mm. So, you know, Coca-Cola, for example, has massive power throughout the world. Therefore, they can deploy all of this great stuff. You know, they can make the world more sustainable. They can uh, provide water. In places that need it, um, and I think that they can have a much bigger impact on creating a better future than than we could have without them.
0: Yeah, and brands are taking this seriously. So H S B C said uh, in in the magazine actually that you know post capitalism as a as a subject and you know just the economy generally comes up in in discussions with the marketing team regularly. And HSBC, you'd think, you know, discussing post-capitalism, that's a, that's a curious one.
2: Yeah, and it's the same with Santander as well, actually. I spoke to the marketing director there and he was saying that he was reading post-capitalism at the moment. So,
0: Oh, right. Yeah, so it's, it's on absolutely. everyone's minds. It's
2: a big topic, and I imagine especially for financial institutions, actually.
0: Well, it's interesting you say about Santander, actually, because they've got something called um, the Kitty app, which allows, I think as they describe it, like a network of people who can save are their money like via this app via this platform for a shared purpose you know whether it's a holiday or christmas or whatever but you know they they're seeing their way the the role they can play in the sharing economy yeah i
2: think a lot of brands are thinking about how they can connect people and help people to pool their resources this is something i spoke to Eve Paul about and why the sharing economy is important to people
3: i think the other thing we're noticing um from the sharing economy is that the, the, the fundamental rule of efficiency in the market is finding uh, kind of its zenith in this information market. So things like Uber and Airbnb and Park at My Place and all these kinds of initiatives are about us trying to get every last ounce of value out of an asset which is lying idle. Um, and that has been called the sharing economy, which makes it sound you know, very friendly and sort of like a bartering system, but is actually increasingly being commercialized Um, so that we're not having our cars sit outside unused when we could actually get income from lending it out in some way. So I think that's interesting because that's evidence of the market getting more efficient, and I think we'll just see more of that where we won't want to have assets lying idle because that's just not responsible, um, whether they are cars or whether it is about free time or um, anything else. And we'll want to be making sure that we can deploy our assets well given that we appreciate how scarce they are um, these days.
0: It does certainly make sense, doesn't it, in a world where, you know, the pressure on resources is just ever more intense, that, uh, you know, we need to shift our focus onto the assets that are lying idle. You know, that's sort of looking at efficiency in that respect, and especially from a sustainability point of view, that's just it's common sense, isn't it, Leo? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: I think there's a lot of... Yeah. The, I want it to work... But I think there are transaction costs that are massive. And, you know, do you want to spend all your time going and moving your toaster up and down (laughs) the street? Wouldn't you rather lie in bed and watch Breaking Bad? That's very true. Uh, Give us a break. If really we depend on these micro trades to make do, haven't we failed? Mm. Haven't we failed?
0: We need the bigger picture rather than sharing toasters.
1: I don't think we should be... Relegated to this sort of slavery, where we have to f- flog, flog our granddad's LP collection. We can own stuff. We yeah. can own stuff. There's got to be ways. There's got to be ways to to do this stuff. Of course, there's benefits from the sharing economy, from the assets that are highly cash intensive and that are underutilized. And cars are clearly one of them. But you know, there's, there's got to be a limit on this, no?
0: Well, I, th- I certainly think sharing a toaster. There's probably a limit on that, isn't there? But I mean, some of the some what of the you,
1: what are you going to share? If you're a big believer in this, what are you, you know. going to
0: share? Share my love. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's what we have going to share. No, they're, they're, you're, you're yeah. Your magic mix, your tooth. What have you That's got true, that you're going to yeah. share? That's
2: I think true. a problem with a lot of these sharing economy apps, as well, is that they reward the same people that capitalism does uh, in a way because the, the you have owners. to own property yeah. to rent it out. So. It's, it's
0: when you hear about the kind of the businesses that are about sharing dinners. You know, and I I'm gonna make dinner for, you know, four people tonight and so my neighbours can have it. That that's you know, that's got some value, isn't it? Yeah, that's nice. But it's <laughs> not all...
2: <laughs> I'm not gonna do that <laughs> It's not all friendly, I think that's what we have to realise.
0: Mm.
2: Um but that also makes it quite a rich place for brands to play a big part, especially I mean, the car industry are already starting to do that. So
0: Yeah, BMW actually, that's yeah. with um yeah. Drive yeah. Now.
2: Yeah. Exactly. You I mean know, the... and
0: again, BMW, you know, massive global corporate brand but it's you know it's quite quick off the mark see that you know things are changing and you know people like you say want to own things they want to own their car but the problems are too many cars on the road and being stuck in traffic that can actually be overcome if people give up their seat
1: with cars again i love uber i know it's i know it's uncool to say that by luck because i love meeting the i love meeting the drivers yeah this fantastic guy mohammed from oman last night coming back from chiswick brilliant conversation he made my day
0: oh that's wonderful that's wonderful i mean uber obviously was you know born out of the sharing economy by whatever definition you go by it was actually bmw i think who did say that you know no longer can any brand just be seen as a you know a retailer or a manufacturer whatever brand you are you need to be looking at how to become a service provider of sorts now how easy is that if you're you know, if you're a dog food brand or a toothpaste brand, what 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 can you be doing to, to play your part?
2: I don't know. It's difficult because with the car industry, it's kind of quite easy to see. Um, you know, car, buying a car and car ownership were once quite a fetishized kind of process, but it's just... Not the case anymore, um, and people are placing you know the idea of access over ownership with things like cars, yes, dog food a little bit more tricky, consumables generally a little bit more tricky, but I guess you have to be looking at what you can provide as a brand that is free or low cost yeah. um and also how you can connect people to each other and I suppose um, a
0: relationship with your with your pet, you know you for some people, it doesn't get more emotional than that so.
2: exactly. and for a dog brand, that might mean a dog food brand, sorry um For a dog food brand, that might mean that you uh, create a sharing economy thing that's a bit like Borrow My Doggy, you know, something that is relevant to your brand and to your purpose and and you can be credible in that space, but it's a kind of sidestep. I don't really think that categories can exist anymore in... in a post-capitalist or whatever we're calling it world.
0: It's going to be a massive challenge for marketers, isn't it? Because really it is a fundamental shift in exactly, you know, just what the role of a marketing director is.
2: Yeah, well, when I spoke to Eve Poole, um, she was telling me what she thinks the future for the role of the marketer is and it's something that she actually thinks is going to be really exciting.
3: So what does this mean for the role of the marketer? Well, I think it's fascinating because I think already social media has totally thrown this wide open. So where the very old-fashioned idea used to be Uh, about driving long-term sales and about controlling and managing the brand. We've just lost control of the brand now. It's very much in the public domain and uh, we need to respond well to how people challenge our brands, inhabit them, move them on, change them. So I think the marketeer in the future will be the center of a, a vast hub of information and social interaction, trying to understand how people are interpreting the brand, how people are responding positively to the brand, but also how people are experiencing the brand negatively. And instead a fairly cynical spend to try and suppress all that through lawsuits and infringements of copyright or, you know, lobbying and all that kind of thing, is just be interested in what that means and what that might do to inform strategy. So I think marketing will be absolutely fundamental to new product development, to strategy, to customers, a whole load of other things, rather than just being about sales. It's where you are hitting the interface between the customer and the organisation. And I, I think there's just so much rich activity at that scene. It's really very exciting.
0: Well, that's certainly good news for our audience. Marketers will have the most exciting jobs in the future. Rebecca?
2: Indeed. And something else that Eve said, actually, was that uh, the role of marketer is going to be more like a role of public servant in the future mm. um, which kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier about the idea of big brands like coke having to do this social good yeah so as a marketer it won't be about selling things at all anymore so much as making you know sure that you're doing the right things.
0: Yeah. And I, I think that's actually commonly held because the, the CMO at Microsoft actually, Philippa Snare, she she'd said something about, you know, marketers in the future will be leading businesses and and should consider themselves real public servants, you know, at the centre of this this brave new world. And potentially the, you know, they're looking at how, you know, you can build organisations that can reinvent how to make economies thrive.
2: Yeah, and I think that has to go really, really deep into the culture of a brand. So it really has to be right at the centre of everything you do. I mean, I think we learned from the VW's uh, emissions scandal that you really have to practice what you preach. You can't just have a veneer of advertising anymore. Like, you have to be almost enlightened. Um, So every single part of the structure of your organisation needs to be fully on board with what you're saying to the public.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Leo, one of your um, special subject areas, I think, is the future of cities. You know, what, what do you see as a role for brands and companies within uh, this sort of this future?
1: I think there's two different cities. And, I sort of, and by city, I mean, city, you know, as a sort of model of how we live. Yeah. I think there's one. By the way, in both of them, I think marketing looks very different to what it looks like today. In one of them, which is the city that you could call Cyberbia, you know, which is the city of concentrated tech. And at the um, IAB event in the Barbican the other day I asked the question, you know, what's you know, basically what's the sexiest person going to be defined as? And someone called out <laughs> from the audience, data scientist. <laughs>
0: you know, there's
1: one model. Depends
0: on your definition. You know, and think, yeah.
1: Sure as hell isn't my definition. <laughs> but there's one model, which is, you know, the, the the marketing asset will be your quantitative skills. Can you do the best? clickbait. Can you manage to do the best piece of native advertising where it's not you reading the newspaper, it's the newspaper reading you and coming up with the best algorithm? There's a marketing which is just for the PhD scientists who can write the algorithms. Then I think there's another city, which is the sort of distributed city or the bottom-up city where we've deployed tech in a very different way to try to solve the problems we've got where marketing, just as you say, has Got no scope for error at all. You know, this is this pitilessly peer review driven economy where any gap between signal and noise will be exposed, where any deviation between what you're claiming to do and what you do will be out and will be brand destroying. And the job of marketing is to identify what the needs are, identify who the partners are who can help you deliver on that, sell. Your institution as a value added player in addressing that market, and then be documenting, be showing what you are delivering. It's really, in a way, quite old fashioned. It's a return to, you know, Henry Ford style advertising where you talk about what your product does in terms of benefits. And this Mm -hmm. will, of course, be for the user and a broader set of social and economic and environmental benefits, but it's quantifiable, it's measured, it's fact based.
0: And so every brand has to be a force for good. Is that what you're saying? Whether it's a deodorant and or to show it, trainers? And or... not
1: with some fuzzy imagery, mm. but with some stuff that you've done that you've gone and looked at and kicked the tyres on and can show it's real. Yeah. And the great marketer will have good data that makes people believe that it's real.
0: And Rebecca, what, what's your final takeaway then on this post-capitalism discussion we've been having today? Well, I think it's almost like we're
2: moving into a post-brand era, um, mm. as we know it. So it's it's no longer about shouting about your brand, um, and the veneer of advertising. If you're doing positive things, uh, you can be quite subtle because um, the abundance of information pe- means that people are going to know whether you're doing good or not.
0: And I know I'm the editor of marketing, but I do, you know, I do truly believe that you know the role of companies and brands is actually you know, potentially as important in this whole discussion. It's not just for governments to solve. Companies have such huge power across the world. And so I think if they can truly see themselves as part of the sort of the problem solving and put their power towards, towards that as well as, you know, their product, And I think that will become, you know, even more true in future generations. Well, you've been listening to uh, me, Rachel Barnes, and our guests, Rebecca Coleman and Leo Johnson. Thank you so much to both of you. Thank you. Thank you. A special thanks also to our producer, Nan Davis, podcast editor, Shona Ghosh, and to our host, Something Else. We'll be returning next month with a Christmas edition of The Marketing Mind. And you can join in the conversation on Twitter, following our hashtag, #MarketingMind or tweeting at Marketing UK. You can also find out more on our website, marketingmagazine.co.uk forward slash podcast. And also, please don't forget, of course, to read Rebecca's interview with Paul Mason of Channel 4 on uh, post-capitalism and also our deeper analysis on the subject, including the role of brands in the sharing economy, all in this month's edition of Marketing. You've been listening to The Marketing Mind.